What an absolute delight to be with you here on Easter weekend. And uh, oh, friends, I just have to say to just to be able to be here and hear you singing and us together, uh, it is a delight. If, if you're newer here or visiting with us, I'm Doug and I have the privilege of leading us here in some time in God's word with what's uh, going on on the whole with the resurrection. And here it's about the resurrection of Christ on this uh, Easter weekend. And we could say it this way, that the, the resurrection is the epicenter event of human history. I mean, it is the epicenter event of all human history. You, you put it on the table, and the centerpiece on the table from beginning to end, standing strong and tall right in the middle, is the fact of God's grace poured out on the cross and the empty tomb. And it is like booyah, God. And uh, here's what we're going to do today. Uh, I've sp just spent time thinking about what we're going to do and what we're here on Easter. And, and I'm just going to tell you, as a kid, I remember going to church and having time and being on the resurrection. And yet, I will have to say, I, I don't know if all the, the dots connected for me. I think oftentimes I just saw Easter and, and the grandness of that. And, and I, I, I needed some help connecting. So that's what I want to do today. I really want us to have some kind of take a look at the time frame of dots. And I'm referencing the dots, just kind of time of movement of things really from beginning to end. And, and where does the resurrection fit? Why is it such an epicenter event? Why does it matter? And friends, let me just kind of sum it up this way. God had this in his plan from the very beginning. He's never been caught off guard. He's never been pushed off his chair. The resurrection is the culminating reality that carries on into eternity. And we're going to take a look and we're going to see that uh, today. I think it would be a really good idea if we actually read the resurrection account. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, if you're using a Bible there behind one of the seats, it would be page 784. Uh, turn there. Uh, I'm actually going to begin in chapter 27 and uh, catch the uh, Christ on the cross and carry it into uh, the resurrection. Let me begin reading chapter 27, actually. I'm going to pick up verse 35, and let's read God's word. You listen as I read. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus. By the way, remember this the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Go to verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The terminology on that is telling us Jesus just didn't die. Jesus gave up his life. There's actually a big difference in that. And then verse 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, the body, and Jesus took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Chapter 28, verse 1. 
Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, with awe and joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And Lord, I pray as we spend this time together in your word around the central reality of the resurrection that you would encourage us, that you would instruct us, that you would lean into us. God, the resurrection is about victory. And we need some victory. So we get to go there. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, a year ago, 12 months ago, uh, Easter was celebrated online. I don't know if you remember that, or at least us as a church, or if that was your story, but Easter was celebrated online. Uh, A thing called COVID had showed up. Have you heard of that? Uh, Yeah, you have. Um, Actually, uh, COVID came along and really pushed us all off our bikes. Who would have thought with it? It not only pushed us off our bikes, but it It really altered how we do life. I would even suggest, I think over the last year has caused us to ask questions about life and even life lived than maybe ever before. Um, Additionally, it's just become, like it or not, a centerpiece of life. And I say all that over this last year, and here on Resurrection Sunday, uh, this weekend, I, 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 I just think... Oh, that the resurrection would do that in us. I mean, that the resurrection would really push us off our bikes. That it would lean into us. That it would cause us to ask questions. The Lord can handle our questions. Uh, That it would ask us to reconsider what what life is and and where we're at. And oh, that the resurrection would become the centerpiece. And might I say it this way, kind of playing off of the whole COVID idea, uh, be gracious to me. Oh, that the resurrection would truly be the antidote solution to our social distance problem because of sin with God. Might the resurrection be that. Well, to foster all of that thinking today, here's really what I want to do. I want for us to take a look at three looks in three books of the Bible. And I want for us to begin in the very beginning, turn to Genesis chapter 1. I'm, again, I'm, I'm seeking to uh, bring together the full beginning to end with the resurrection in the middle. 
and to grasp its greatness and its grandness and really its meaning. And to do that, we really need to begin in the beginning. And so uh, I'm here in Genesis, uh, the first book, the first chapter, and let's go to the very first verse of the Bible, and it says this, in the beginning, God, now there's a statement, like we just begin with that, in the beginning, God, and and God created the heavens and the earth. Hey, uh, from the very beginning of the Bible, it's like, let's just dive in and know this, we live in a God-created reality. We live in a God-created world. That's a fact. It starts there, and that's an important starting point. And by the way, in the back of our minds, if we bring in Colossians chapter 1, with it being resurrection weekend in that, it tells us, Colossians 1, that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was the agent of the Godhead in the doing of creation. Oh, man, and yet he dies and rise from the dead. Uh, so we're here, and we have a, a God-created world that we live in. Do you know that? Do you know that? There's hope in that. We're not here by random mistake, friends. We are here by a God-created reality. Along with that, then, we see in verse 27 and 28, so God created a man in his own image, mankind, in the image of God he created, a male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. And not only do we live in a God-created world, but we live in a God-purposed world. We're not just thrown here and like, have at it. It's literally, there's a purpose for God's glory in all of this. That's helpful to know. And yeah, chapter three, if we just take, take, turn the page, we're reminded that something called sin happened. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered our world. Uh, we live in a God-created world. We live in a God-purposed world, but we live in a sin-broken world. Everything changed at that point in time. And we're not going to go through all the text on it, but, but I want to note this because it's like, oh man, everything starts out awesome and then everything makes a quick dive fast. But then within this, we live in a God-graced world. Let me just note out of verse 15, out of chapter 3, that the Lord says uh, that uh, one will come, an offspring of Eve will come, that will bruise Satan's head. Um, I'm sorry, that Satan will bruise his head, but he will deal Satan a lethal blow. Uh, Friends, you read in the beginning of this, we live in a God-created world, we live in a God-purposed world, we live in a sin-broken world, yet we live in a God-graced world because there was one from the very beginning of time that was promised to come who would deal Satan a lethal blow. There's hope. The question out of that then comes, well, who's that one? Aren't you thinking that? Who is that one then? And how do we know that that one is that one. Well, let's go from the first book of the Bible to the first book of the New Testament. Go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew, and we're going to go to chapter 1. And we begin in chapter 1 with a chapter that usually when most of us are reading our Bibles, we skip over. But it actually, in the fullness of the story, has a dot that connects things. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, If I I could kind of uh, put it in the context of our conversation this way, I, I would say it this way. The book of the credentials 
of Jesus Christ. We're told in the very, very beginning, right when sin shows its ugly face, that God already has a plan in place, that one's going to come. Well, how do we know who that is? Well, we jump in the very first verse. The very first verse of the New Testament is telling us, hey, there's a dude that has credentials, and his name is Jesus Christ. And look, he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. The credentials are already been put on the table. And yet we in our day, we, we kind of then, all these uh, funky Old Testament names, we kind of are like, nah, let's just spin past those. And I do too. But let me note a few things in this. Because actually what this is doing is going back to Genesis and telling us that dots are being connected. Because the first half of the chapter is about Jesus' human credentials, then the latter part of the chapter is about Jesus' divinity credentials. Let me make a notation of this. So in verse 2 of Matthew chapter 1, we find Abraham was the father of Isaac. Might I say it this way? Dot Abraham. Uh, we've gone to creation. We kind of now have over on the screen Abraham uh, on this. And in that, we have Abraham. Abraham was the one that, that God uh, chose through whom God would raise up a people with a place uh, who would be priests to the world. And uh, God said, through you, Abraham, I'm going to do a work with that. By the way, God provided Isaac uh, for this dear couple that didn't have children. And then even in the whole movement of it, you find that God, uh, when Abraham is, is about to sacrifice Isaac, as God had asked, God provides a ram. A ram is a male lamb. Keep that in mind. And God provides a male ram to be uh, sacrificed uh, instead of Isaac because God is going to continue his plan. And Abraham, and by the way, Abraham notes in Genesis 17 that kings will come from him. Oh, by the way, that placard over Jesus on the cross, what did it say? The king of the Jews. Through Abraham, there would be kings. And we follow the line, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Jacob in Genesis 49 uh, notes that there's going to be a kingship that will come from the tribe of Judah. Moses uh, brings the people out of Egypt and, and they go to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. There they are. God says, I want to be you to be a set-apart people of priests to the world and I'm going to give you a place. And then the book of Joshua, uh, God's people set their foot for the first time in Canaan and in the promised land, in the sending base place, and they are there. And then we come to the book of Judges, and instead of becoming a kingdom of priests uh, to the world, we're told the sad reality that for some uh, four centuries, so for some 400 years, God's people in the place are doing what was right in their own eyes. Not what was right in God's eyes, but their own eyes. It's a bad time, and yet Ruth, in spite of God's people missing the mark of what God wanted them to do, God in his grace and his faithfulness preserves a remnant that would eventually lead to a king. By the way, verse 5, Matthew chapter 1, Boaz and Ruth connect the dots. 
1 Samuel. We're studying as a church through uh, 1 Samuel. We'd love to, if you're visiting, we'd love to have you come back next week. We're going to be back in 1 Samuel with that and kind of essentially covering the life of David, the God of David, uh, really in that. In 1 Samuel, uh, we find in the beginning of 1 Samuel, Hannah is calling out to the Lord for a child. And, and, and in her prayer unto the Lord, it's interesting that she makes mention of the fact of, of giving strength to a king that will one time come. And God blesses her with Samuel, and Samuel is the, the last judge during the time of the judges, and, and Samuel is priest and prophet as well during that time. And then King Saul comes to the table, and God's people, kind of like back in the time of the judges, they want a king that looks like the rest of the, the world and acts like the rest of the world. And so God says, uh, that's not really what I'm looking at, but you know what, if that's what you want, sometimes I'll let you have what you ask for. And God let Saul be king, and we're studying through that right now. It's not going so well. And yet David comes. Now, there's a dot. Remember in Matthew 1, Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham, the king that God wanted. David, as we had studied, was the most unlikely one of the family of Jesse to be anointed as the impending king, and yet he is the one that is anointed. And we could say this from last Sunday. David is kind of the human one at that time that is intended by God to kind of stand in the gap between he and God's people and leading them. Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Genesis 1. One is coming who will be bruised but we'll deal a lethal blow. We have the credentials here. We, we read about the death and the resurrection of Christ. L let me just kind of add the, the eternity uh, dot uh, to this. Turn to Revelation chapter five. Let's go to the last book. We've gone to the first book we've gone of the Bible. We've gone to the first book of the New Testament. Let's just uh, sit for a, a few here in the last book uh, of the Bible. Um, we are told about the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, might I say it this way, as he is today, friend. A lot of us need to get movie Jesus out of our thinking. Grateful for the incarnation, grateful for the death and the resurrection, but do we understand who Jesus is today? We see that in Revelation chapter one, and we really kind of pull it here in Revelation five to, to see the, the, the one who had the creds, who went to the cross, rose from the, the grave, and by the way, uh, take a look, verse six, chapter five, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb, by the way, who was noted just right prior as the lion, the lion who is the lamb standing, oh here we go, as though it had been slain. You see, the cross and the resurrection didn't happen and now it's just boom, done out of memory. It's carrying actually into the throne room of heaven. Verse seven, and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him, the father who was seated on the throne. And, and when uh, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense and which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests 
That sounds familiar. To our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders and the voice of the many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands. In other words, the choir is building. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature, the choir continues to build, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Hey, they got pushed off their bikes because of the greatness of who Jesus is. And then just a few more verses. Go to Revelation 22, the last chapter. And just a final notation here. Then the angel, verse one, showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through whom the middle of the street of the city, we're now in the eternal state of eternity, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, thank God. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his names will be on their foreheads. Tats, friends. And night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Here we are on Resurrection Weekend, and it's a monumental event. I've already suggested it is, it is the epicenter event of all of human history. Um, I've sought to just have us take a brief look at, in the very beginning, one was promised. We see in Matthew chapter 1 that one has the credentials to be that one. Uh, by the way, I think I forgot to make mention that the, hum, the, the human credentials were listed and then right after that in Matthew 1, the divinity credentials were listed because he was born of a virgin and he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. He has the human credentials, he has the divinity credentials. Oh, and then we take it and we look ahead and we even see who the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ is today and we see who he is into eternity. And friends, the resurrection is indeed the epicenter event. At the cross, the one with the credentials was bruised. But that stone rolled away thing, that was the lethal blow. Three looks and three books. One more dot to bring into view. And that's us right now, today. Um, let's bring it home. Let's let the resurrection here for just a couple minutes lean into us, maybe even push us off our bikes. Well, let's 
allow the resurrection to cause us to maybe even consider some questions. Like, if the resurrection is just another amazing event in human history, then I say, yeah, we give it props just like any other amazing event in human history. If, if the resurrection is just kind of a standalone event, as an amazing event in human history, you know, like other, then yeah, let, 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 let's give it a holiday, you know, I'm good with that. But I think if you go to the beginning and, and the cross and the resurrection and you see the end, um, friend, viewing the resurrection as just another amazing event in mankind's timeline. It just doesn't fit. Viewing it Easter weekend as, as just a, a memory time with a sweet family moment in it and some nods and to God. That just doesn't fit. Instead, I would suggest it should be something more like what we saw in Revelation 5. I mean, my goodness, if the heavenly beings are falling down and in declaring the amazing reality of the lamb who is the lion, who is slain and risen from the dead, I mean, if the heavenly beings who get more than we get right now, if they're doing that, man, how much more us? Lord, you are the absolute antidote solution to our social distance condition before you because of sin because of the cross, because of the resurrection. Everything can be different. Not only just now, but for all of eternity. From beginning to end. Connect the dots. So how do I conclude our time? Man, I've thought a lot about that. So, three things. Um, I want to read from an author. And then I want to read from Jesus and how he concluded his sermon. And then I'm going to leave it in your hands and the Lord's hands, okay? So first, some words from an author. Todd Hunter. His book, Christianity Beyond Belief. Follow with me for a minute. He says this. Is Jesus your personal Savior? We've asked and been asked that question so many times that it has reduced Jesus to just that, just a personal Savior. I know why we asked that question so many times over the last few decades. We wanted to make sure that no one was merely a cultural or denominational or family of origin Christian. I say amen to that. Not that. He goes on, 
But this inadvertently reduced Jesus to the size of a human heart. The place we were supposed to invite this personal savior. This is actually not a great fit for the king. Whose kingdom encompasses the entire cosmos and transcends space and time. Learning from the surprising gospel of Jesus that my life counts only gets me part of the way along the journey. You see, salvation is necessarily personal, but it is not merely personal. We, he says, are saved into a people, and this is the big three words, and a story. To reimagine what it means to be a Christian, we must move beyond the notion that Jesus is only a personal Savior. Oh, uh, he is personal, but within an overall context of a people with a purpose. God is not saving individuals alone. He is creating a people for himself as his cooperative friends, and only among this people do we derive a genuine sense of person. I'm telling you, there's a word in all And let me ask, have you personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior to not only cover your sin through his imputed righteousness, but to live for him with the family of God? Is there a time where you came to understand that you are a sinner separated from God because of sin and yet God provided and did for us what we could not do for ourselves through the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. There is no more important decision in life because it is an eternal decision. And friend, if you don't know that you know that you know, we would love to talk with you. Someone around you would love to talk with you. What does it mean to know Christ? The words of Christ. Let me finish with the words of Christ and then leave it in your and the Lord's hands. Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen how Jesus concludes uh, this important sermon. Two paragraphs. Not everyone who says to me, after all these marvelous teaching truths, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then then will I declare to them, I never knew you. And then he finishes with this. Everyone then, 
who hears these words of mine and does them. They hear and do. Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell. And in fact, great was its fall. It's resurrection weekend. My objective was to remind us of the big picture story and the big centerpiece reality that the resurrection plays in all of human history. And yes, it is a personal reality applied. Have you received the antidote to your sin condition? And yet it's also entering into the family of God and the plan of God and eternity with God. If you have any questions, we would love to talk to you. If you know Christ as your savior, I pray that the resurrection story in the big picture reminds us and gives us hope in these crazy wonky days. And that's a theological term. That victory that victory is at hand. The resurrection of Christ, the epicenter of all human events. And Lord, we leave it in each other's hands and we leave it in your hands. And God, I, I, I pray that we would be a people who allow the resurrection to lean into us. That it wouldn't just become a, a really great story with warm, fuzzy feelings, but it would be far bigger than that. God, I... I would pray for the person maybe in this room who just honestly, they're just not sure where they're at with you. God, admitting that and seeing that, that's a wonderful thing because there's hope. They don't have to play a game. They can actually just come to you and repent and receive Christ and the work of Christ and be made anew. And I pray that would happen. Lord, for those who know you as our Savior, I pray that this Easter, that this would be a grounding together Easter. Grounded and founded upon more than just an event that took place on Golgotha and an empty tomb, but the dots are connected that are broad and wide and big and deep from beginning to eternity end. 
and that we would know the victory that has been provided, not because of our greatness, but because of your great grace. And so we rejoice. We celebrate. And we raise the roof because you have conquered sin and death. Amen.